This will be fun. Um, yeah, let's uh, let's introduce our guest today, the 88 World Champ. Uh, gee whiz, I, I, I start there, but I mean, it's just one string in the bow of a guy who has made surfing his entire life since he first stood up uh, in sort of different roles. He's been a media personality, uh, an elite coach, an athlete manager, a broadcaster, a commentator, the voice of the Olympics, uh, world-class podcaster now. But they're just the roles. I think. I think more than anything, this guy is far out. Probably one of the most stoked, one of the most involved, one of the most generous, pure lovers of surfing that have ever lived. Barton Lynch, welcome back to Ain't That Swell, mate. <laughs> Vaughn Blakey, you beauty. How are you, Blakey? Um, oh, great. Thank man. you, mate, for the co- thank you for the kind words. And you know, I I suppose you 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 do kind of. I remember saying as a kid to people, if all I ever am is a surfer, I'll most probably be a little disappointed. Yeah. What do you mean? You know what I mean? Because I had that sense of, I don't know, I just had this sense that that was not such a big deal or a big thing and that there was most probably all this other stuff that was a contribution to the world that most probably was going to mean more than the way you rode a wave or whatever, you know? I don't know where that feeling came from or that awareness of, or that, you know, that, idea came from but i always kind of had it that's crazy that you say that bl this morning i went for a walk up to the top of lennox headland and a guy came out mm. uh, he just sold his house in brisbane he didn't buy in anywhere else he just bought a van he was in his uh late 60s uh i yeah. reckon his name was john john if you're listening g'day mate anyway he said he was just yeah, traveling john. around being a surfer he just hadn't hadn't really put that as a priority and we were sort of talking about like what sessions you know, the, the sessions he'd had and all that sort of stuff. And I was, he was saying, you must have scored some sessions. And I said, I do score some sessions, mate, but I'm happy to surf when I surf because I've got a, a life that I love as well. And, uh, you know, if, mm. if the surf's good and I get out there and it, it's it's meant to be and I get good waves, I'm, I'm so happy and content with that because I like actually investing my energy and time into other areas and other things. And like, like you just said, mate, being able to sort of share, I don't know, uh, whether it's things I've picked up along the way or, or just my time and energy with other people, uh, that feels just as satisfying as a good surf sometimes. Yeah, indeed it does. I, you know, I suppose for me the dream was always to win. Mm. You know, not, not, in the, not in the early days. I mean, even up until starting the World Tour, I didn't like the idea of competing. And I, I remember interviews saying that, you know, when you think about surfing and then you think about competing, it's a fairly – you know, sport itself, I suppose, is designed to put that male energy into some framework and it exhausts itself in there so it can then be put in there, be in the real world without that edge to it. Mm. Um, and, and that surfing itself never really felt like that kind of a thing to me. I, I feel like if, if I live today, there's a chance I may never have been a competitive surfer, mm. you know. But there was this point in time where it became obvious to me that my anarchistic uh, ways and conversation and perspectives weren't really helping a career 
or a job in professional surfing, mm. you know, and that I had to kind of play that game or become that thing or absorb myself in it if I was going to do it rather than dip your toe in it but not like it and waste your time, you know. <laughs> yeah. And then I became then I became this, you know, crazy, intense competitor who was deeply into it as a as an art form almost, you know what I mean? Mm. And then and mm. but what what happened there was that we got to surf a lot of you know, we were surfing Wednesday to Sunday. So, you know, there is that image of it surfing crappy waves or small waves. But at the same time, it could have been 15 feet and howling onshore in the stormiest, ugliest day of the year, but we were on. Mm. And we would surf no matter what it was, Wednesday to Sunday, all around the world. And it created this incredibly um, well-rounded performance in all of us because you had to be ready to, to surf whatever. So that was cool. But then I realized towards the end, hey, I haven't surfed enough good waves. And the Dream Tour thing came about. And you go to G-Land mm. and you are just so excited and you've put work in to create that opportunity in the back room of ASP, you know what I mean? You've been invested emotionally to get to good waves. And you get there and they start just before the wind goes offshore, call it 10 o'clock. Yeah. Um, they run heats all day and then you'd get 25 minutes. It was worse. Oh. I, was like, I was like this is absolute torture. <laughs> this is actually worse than not being here. I'd rather not oh. be in G-Land because yeah. all you could do all day was surf Kongs or watch other people get the best waves of your oh, life. Mate, I, life. You know what it's happened there? I remember I asking Ozzy once, uh, Ozzy Wright, free surfer, yeah. like, you know, why he never gelled with comps. Uh, and he said basically just like he hated being told when he couldn't, couldn't surf. And he was just like, why would I base my whole day around a 20-minute window where even if the best wave comes and I'm in position, if I don't have priority, I can't catch it? He goes, that's not even – that's nothing like what surfing <laughs> is to me. That doesn't sound like fun, does it? You know, it's a <laughs> it job, mate. It doesn't sound like fun at all. But, mate, look, this and is – So our, that's, where it, became, that's yeah. where it became a job and you treated it like a job. And then I realized, hey, I might not be able to get barreled or ride perfect waves that much longer. Mm. Who knows how long I've got to, you know, I've got to, I'm going, and it became my sole focus was, you know, good waves and, and then, and then powder and having to try and set your life up so that you could earn money and go and do these things and start to live the other side of the life that you'd missed. Mm. That was, is most probably more important than the one you just lived, except for the fact that you still opened with it. Yep. Right, and that that you can't believe I can't believe it still means something. Oh, but man, it's astonishing. It's you know, it's so cool. Isn't it it is out. so cool. It is so cool. And like, well, look, we've got you on the phone because Bell's blast off is uh, in. We're in the thick of it. It's it's happening right yes, now. Man. And I just wanted to sort of just take this opportunity. It's the coolest Grom comp in the world, like no doubt. It's not. It's not really even a comp, is it? It's more like a. No. Uh, a what do you call it? Like, I mean, how how do you define I call it? Yeah, I call it a coaching program and a surfing championships. And the six weeks of it is the coaching program and every video that's, you know, and we used to do this exact same model in our physical events. Mm. And so when we were running the Sydney one and then we took it to Bali and it went at Bingham and it was a success there and it was all based on the premise that as a, as a 14 and under-year-old kid, you imagine they go to the events and they hear the, the numbers come out. That's all you get, Rose, numbers. Three two nine seven six eight four two seven six four three two wave total thirteen point this 
And there's all these numbers and the parents all stand around looking at each other, trying to dissect the numbers to find some information to share with their child in amongst the onslaught of stupidity, which is them <laughs> trying to score it. And, um, and I went, that's not the way to do it. That's nah. not the way to, to – to. And, and so we, you know, they all surf three times. And, and in their session, we would video the sessions. They would – the coach, everything, you know, all of the comments and all of the stuff was about around how to get better. And every kid got the paragraph of coaching. So over the PA and in that environment, it wasn't about winning and losing. It was about getting better mm. and getting stoked. And so I was like, I wonder if we can translate those same principles to an online form. And three years in, you know, we're st- I'm so proud of them that they understand what we are and what we stand for. And so we get the best kids in the, in the country in that age, in the world, should I say, in that age group called Aaron Brooks, you know, Kai Adriozolis, all of those kids are all a part of, you know, been a part of the online video challenge through to kids on their very first wave mm. with dad at the back or whatever. And, and, and what they do, they get it. Yeah. And, you know, so that was... That's so cool that we've been able to put it into that form, translate the morals and the principles and the ideas and connect with a bigger, broader audience. Yeah, and, and it's far-flung countries too, right? You've got some pretty entries from uh, all over the joint yeah, over the years. 20, 22 countries last year, oh, inclu- you know, inclu- including India, and, and these little surf cultures pop up and, and land on your radar and then you, there's other kids send their videos in and you connect with a little community called a fishing village in India and you connect with the kids there and you send them prizes and they're posted and they're stoked and all these other kids around the world are complimenting them and far out. It's just, you know, I'm, I, I do feel like it's, in a way, I feel like it's important work. Mm. It's hard to, you know, we live in difficult times, mate, where if you're, a, a, say, you're a square peg, and you don't fit in the round hole, um, it's not just that simple anymore. Mm. Right? That's not the end of it. That is actually and literally just the beginning of your personal torment of trying to be yourself in the onslaught of judgment and expectation of behaviour from the, 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 you know, the powers or be that around you. And mm. so for me to be able to kind of, you know, connect with the kids in this way and, and I feel like I've got a podcast coming up where I'm looking at the I'm looking at the surfing industry itself and 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 when you look at it, the landscape's changed a lot. Mm. Um, the ownership of stuff's changed a lot. Um, and keeping culture, maintaining our culture. I remember what it was when I was a kid. And I remember the tracks magazines that I would salivate over waiting for him to yeah. come out and surfing world and and there was that whole counterculture yeah it was so cool because it wasn't the man mm. it wasn't the establishment this was a bunch of people who saw a better way to live mm. who recognized an opportunity to create change within themselves and the way they engaged with their world and became sort of, you know, more as one with nature and all of that stuff. And that, that to me, that, that romantic idea of what a surf, surfing is as a culture was what attracted everyone to it. And so as everyone's attracted to it, it, it you know, and, and they come from different walks of life, different colours of skin, different religions, different all over the place, which is a fantastic thing. But in the midst of all those other people, the thing itself 
needs to have some kind of anchor to itself as a culture or that culture's up for grabs and mm. it gets diluted and all of a sudden people don't even know what a surfer is. Mm. Yeah, well, I think that's uh, yeah. God, that's never been truer than right now. I mean, there, there, there is like a surfer is everyone. A surfer can be anyone. And, yeah. and, the, and like you say, the, those ties to those uh, footholds, those anchors of, of the surf culture and and what it is, is is lost sort of like we we need to sort of reinvigorate that idea but like yeah I just, and that's, just on your that's what i try to do with this yeah. work with the kids with blast off is at least kind of come in with those focuses that are pretty pure and supportive and create culture and connection at that at that base end of town and and um so you know let me ask you have this that then, Bill, if yes, if mate. uh like when you were a grommet, as you say, you know, you felt the coolness of, of being in this counterculture uh, existence. Um, like, what is it now? Like, how, what is that culture? And how do we reintroduce kids to it? Is it just community? Is it uh, connection to the environment and the ocean? Like, what, what sort of your areas of focus? Because I've, I've been a part of Beale's Blast Off um, when you've done mm. sort of the workshops up there at uh, North Ave in the surf club. And, and you had such a broad reaching sort of evening of uh, information, entertainment and stuff. But you had, you know, Nick Carroll talking about swells. You had Sally McIntosh talking about, you know, running the media. Uh, I was up there doing some stuff and it was just these beautiful sort of shared, shared experiences that were helping them feel like, I guess the touch point was, yeah, like I said, these these are real fundamental sort of things, which is just caring for other people, caring for nature, and having a and an understanding what those connections are. To get yeah, the best out of and, and yeah, and I think um, as I, I, it would seem at a lot of surf spots, um, and people use COVID as a sort of a timeline for the, for an explosion almost in the crowds. Mm. And 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 they you know it seems and I've heard that from different nations around. I've heard it from people at Snapper and people up the Goldie. <laughs> wow, you know since COVID things explode. I've heard it from people in France. I've heard it from people all around the world. So I think there seems to have been a and then we see it in the in the explosion or the 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 hard goods having their time to shine. <laughs> True, you know what I mean. True, after yeah. the boards, after boards the have fashion, never had a better. That's right. No, they, they never had it better and it was the hard goods and the core principles of things because the fashion and all of that got sort of wiped off at the top almost, um, that these guys got their time to shine. Uh, all sorts of new people are introduced to the sport and finding spare time and getting a check from the government and whatever and they going to buy surfboards. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's just I suppose it's a cool thing that, that the sport grows and people connect with it. Um, but there's got to be that respect in the lineup, hasn't there? And I think that's, you know, you go to some places and the lineups are unruly. It's out of control. The back pa- back paddling of people, the paddling to people's inside, not waiting your turn mm. in a lineup is it's an epidemic of greed. Oh, yes, Vivi's always always on that. You know, I mean, surfing with other people in a, in a crowded, unruly lineup is the almost the quickest way to to become a bitter surfer. A hundred percent, mate. Isn't it? Hundred percent. And so that's that's where I think you know that that understanding that you're a part of something. Other people want to be a part of it. Everyone gets a turn. There's always another wave. 
and just sharing it around and sharing the asset around in a respectful way um, is kind of the key to anchoring the culture. Mm. Because if that that's kind of to me that's where it happens is in the lineup. It's not about riding wave surfing. It's all about everything that happens to catch that wave, that engagement, that 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 paddling out, that the other people, the whole experience. The riding of the waves is a very short little thrill, but the rest of it's surfing, mm. and that's where that's where you kind of you know I think that that's we need to maintain those respects, and it's kind of you know asking what anchors the culture. It's it's a tribal type culture, yeah, and tri- tribal type cultures, ancient cultures, they come with their the yin and their yang, the good and their bad, <laughs> the ups and the downs, and the bits that evolve and change and. You know what I mean? That's kind of, of the way those sort of things are. But I love the the essence of what surfing was to people as a escape, really. It was an escape from the nine to five. You just go watch Big Wednesday and see how hard they they worked to not go to Vietnam and stay surfing. You know, it's uh there was there's some some pretty good cultural anchors there, but you know, I think we need to I, I think, the kids, the kids are the thing. They got to be kids. Understand it. They understand the rules. They yeah. grow up respecting each other. They're the future. Now it doesn't matter. You yeah. know what I mean? Oh, now yeah. it's gone. Now yeah. it's gone. Now it's gone. I know. Um, I know. But so- it is true what you say, mate. I think when I was a grom, like just being a part of of a, of a community, a tribe, as you say, that tribal energy of you know whether it was just going down the beach with your buddies or or you know having the sort of the war dancer competition and all that sort of thing. It was. It felt so exciting to be a part of, and I guess like if you can do it with the right headspace, you, you're on your way. But like, I mean, a lot of these groms, uh, you know, who were coming through systems, and and they'd be competing in blast off as well, or you know, experiencing mm-hmm. blast off maybe is a better word. But you thank know, you, like, <laughs> mate. Um, you know, you've been to the top. You knew what it took to get there. Like, what's the sort of like uh, your advice or your I don't know the wisdom that you share with with crew who want to take it to that level, and you know, what did you learn about yourself in the sacrifice <laughs> that you made by becoming world champion? But was there a sort of a a fifty fifty payoff, like you say, where there, you know you got to achieve your goals, you got to feel that that thrill of victory? But how did it sort of aid you as a person, or did you find that it actually yeah. was it working against you? You know, and I start by kind of trying to make them understand it's a personal development course, Mm. being a competitor. Surfing's the tool, competing's the tool, but you learn about yourself and you you understand, you know, in that sort of exploration that you go into of self and understanding your, your, your movements, your actions, your responses, in being conscious at that level, Many people live their lives not knowing why they react, not even knowing that they are reacting to stimuli around them. Mm. They actually move, they respond, they turn their back, they do things, in, it's, and they're being affected by the stimuli of their environment, but they're more or less unconscious and they don't realise. Mm. And they think that they think that at a point certain, that type of person is, doesn't bring that awareness to themselves and their situation they think that things, uh, you know, are a luck or, a, you know, the byproduct of someone else's this or that. And they're not – when you recognise the depth of influence from your environment to your feelings, to your actions, um, and I feel like that's what it did for me. It made me aware of myself, mate. And I had to look at myself with a with, with really 
sort of unemotional eye and I found I consistently find things about myself that I go, wow, like the most, well, not the most recent because I haven't quite regularly, but, uh, you know, three, three, four years ago, um, and I think kids shine that torch on you because you find yourself behaving like your parents and you go, oh, shit, I did get that. Mm. I didn't know I got, I didn't know I got that. Or I, I hated that about them and I was sure I wasn't going to be like that, but now I am, no way, you know. The kids and having having Lion in my life, um, and so I'm at the wave pool, the surf lakes, uh, I mean the uh, Kelly Slater one, and I – I, I get, I'm so pissed off. I'm taken out of my role with with your brother, and I feel like we're settling into a good little groove here. And I and then Potts and Joe, and I go, "This is my role. I know my role." Mm. And I get to the surf lakes, and they take me out of the booth and put me in a a stand to do the replay commentary um, in the daylight, and you can't see the screen. And they haven't employed, they haven't got someone responsible for getting me the footage. Right. So I'm sitting there all day, and I'm going, "Yeah, that last wave of." Pandas, if, you know, from this turn to that turn, if I can get that, I'll tell us straight this. And, okay, we'll get back to you. And then 20 minutes later, they go, oh, do you want that wave? And I think it's a little late. Thanks. Yeah. And I sit there all day. So sit was... there all day. I don't work. So and you're I in go a grind. Back into the... Oh, and I just don't like it because I'm not doing anything. Yeah. I'm wasting my time. Um, and I walk into the, into the shed and I put my water bottle in an aggressive fashion into something. And I, the boys look at me and go, oh. She like look at me like, what's that wrong? You know what I mean? Like what I I was so angry. Mm. And I got home that night and I went, Oh my God, I think I've got anger issues. And then I start rewinding through your life. And I go, that one could have been one. And you know, that one, remember when you said that to that person? Oh, that was one of their moments too. Wow. And so, you yeah. know, and I started to look at this sort of lineage of anger and some words have spat out of your mouth or whatever it is um and i went wow i'm like i'm like 55 and i didn't know that about myself and and then if you, you think about that 87 night i lose the world title we go to the you know it's a, a manly and the dreams to win at your home beach in front of your family and friends and i have to live it where i lose it at home in front of my family and friends mm. and live that experience that emotional experience then that night after the awards at the after-party thing, I'm standing there looking at myself in the mirror. I am so angry at myself, and I punch myself in the head in a mirror. What? And cut my hand and end up in a yard that night, right? You would think that that might tip you off. <laughs> maybe you should have a look at your emotional responses to situations, mate. You know what I mean? <laughs> so even I, when, when you think about it, there's so much that we do in an unconscious fashion, and mm. I try to bring consciousness and awareness to myself and to my emotions and to my actions as often at all times if I can, and I feel things and I question, I go, what was that? And then I realise that someone said something and it kind of twigged me away. And I was for a long time as a competitor just bulldozing my way through stuff mm. without that, you know, without the sensitivity to understand yourself in that moment. And that's, that's what the competitor through constant failing is, is made to experience because they're constantly going through this. They've got the expectations of, of, of what they want. They're not living up to the expectations. So you judge yourself in the judgment of yourself. You're always beating yourself up and you, you're trapped in this place that doesn't have any consciousness or awareness and you're a victim and it's easy to play with people like that. 
as I, in time I learnt. Mm, you know what I mean? Yeah. As I started to kind of understand the game, you know, and you could say a simple thing to someone and watch emotional reaction and then try to walk off like nothing happened and, you know, it's somewhere back in there ticking away, oh, you know. Mate, so, yeah, well, <laughs> there's famous stories so, of you making competitors cry and uh, like Dilma <laughs> twigged onto that as well. He, he was uh, quite good yeah. at just staying stony-faced and just absolutely driving people insane, but – so how does that oh, no. translate, mate, into, into what you, you know, tell these kids who have these huge dreams like the, and the way yeah. that you communicate with them? It's, it's a difficult thing because a lot of the time people aren't willing to do the work that I do. Mm. You know what I mean? Or the, they don't – they just want a key. Most people that come to you for coaching come at a time when they're down and they think that you can give them a key to get out. Yes. And when, when you deliver the news that there is no key – and this is about you growing as a person and you need to bring awareness to yourself and to your emotions and to what you're feeling and, and, and you need to grow through this thing and don't take any of it too seriously. You know what I mean? The wins, the losses, it's just a moment in time. You're always, you know, no one thing, no one, it's all, it's all a part of your, those people's journey. And so a lot of people that don't have that patience, mate, you know, and I've worked with people who said, you know, literally, you know, top five in the world who said to me, um, you know, do you think we could concentrate on some of the low-lying fruit? Mm. And I went, I, I kind of don't do the low-lying fruit. There's other people, <laughs> there's other people that can go and tell you where to, you know, where to put put your arm and oh. where to, you know what I mean? Oh, well, I, I try it. to do. You got to be, you got to be responsible for yourself, for your decisions, for your actions. And my job is to coach you to not need a coach. Jeez, mate, that I is. Teach, I teach, I teach them how to how Amazing. to do it themselves, how to know what they're what they're doing through differentiation, differentiating between themselves thinking and their selves feeling. And this is the base principle of a lot of what I teach is that by you differentiating or understanding yourself thinking and then yourself feeling, and you can differentiate between those two, um, the feelings are from your instinctive ancient wisdom that lives in your DNA mm. that comes to communicate with you in the silence of your mind and your ego. And if you can't get to that point, of hearing it because your mind's too busy, you never get the, the truth. You never get the information you need, and you're always asking someone else to make the decisions for you. And if you can, you can make this difference and understand yourself, and understand your circumstance, understand your responses to that information. Then you know quickly you can be a master. You don't need to ask me. You just ask yourself and wait for the answer. You know, and that's that's you know that's responsibility. And in the end. You think I teach this one because confidence is tied to it and people go, oh, I don't have confidence or I need confidence or I go, I kind of go, what is confidence? Like, think about it. It doesn't actually exist. Mm. It's a manufactured state that you manufacture from your behavior that allows you to feel confident. But without that behavior because of your judgment of self and circumstance, you can't ever have it when really in reality confidence is a decision. Just a decision, regardless of circumstance, regardless of anything else, it's it's there as yours to have. If you make that decision, you believe in yourself, believe in your destiny, and you're responsible for those decisions and process of you growing, learning, and achieving. You know, mate, so mate, it's <laughs> completely and frothing on this whole chat because, like, I think what we need is a fucking under fifties division of Grombash next year. <laughs> need, you know like, mate, we I, need to get all in touch with our, our inner Grom, which is still there, existing, 
and just remind them like this is the true pathway, not just to surfing happiness, but to just a general sense of, of you know, feeling like you're, you're living your best life. Like so much of the stuff we've been um, tapping into with our wellness retreat and stuff is exactly in line with what you're saying. You got to put in the work. Yeah. You've got to. You've got to. Uh, you know, get in touch with that that inner voice that's that's completely there and ready to go when you want to oh. connect with it. But even more than yes. that, man, you've got to be able to teach methods that enable people to then te- to become teachers as well and share their wisdom because that's the way. That's the only way. And if you're only doing it for yourself, you're never going to get actually what you need to get out of it or, sorry, what you can get out of it, what's possible to get out of it. It's funny, isn't it? That's what I've kind of learned about, um, you know, through the Instagram thing, um, you know, and it went from, you know, 10, 20,000 people to 60 in a couple, few months. Mm. And it was like, what the hell? And the more I spoke, the more faster it grew. Mm. And to the point where I was going, I can't post myself wanking on every day. <laughs> Crikey. <laughs> you know what I mean? Let's put a certain, you know. But it became apparent that people were liking what I was doing and saying. Yeah, so that's, you know, I suppose they've been my lessons, mate, is that this, the intelligence of our planet, the, the concept of plants and matter having intelligence. Mm. When I was a kid, mate, that was all dumb shit. They had no intelligence. Chop it down, make, put a saddle on it, whatever. Do make it yours because this is – it's just all your stuff. They've got no intelligence, no emotions, and you are master of the universe and just use it all. Mm. And then, then you learn as you grow, you go, wow, it does have intelligence. That whole concept of the mycelium network oh. from the fungi is, oh. is – and the fact that plants communicate with each other uh, through the mycelium network is just like any network. And then, and then trees that need, they send their energy as a collective to help it. And there is this deep intelligence that exists in our world that I was never told about. Mm. I was never educated on. And you know me, I didn't go to school much, and I always thought that it was a bit weird and I didn't like it. I never trusted them. I never liked the way I was treated. I didn't really feel like their the intentions were good. I just knew they were there to make good slaves. Mm. It, wasn't, it wasn't designed to make free-thinking, entrepreneurial, young individuals who go out and change the world. You know what I mean? It was, it was designed to just create good workers. And so... I had, you know, and this was the one for me, you know, wagging school in Mossman, call it 8.30, whatever, Mm -hmm. and you're up on military road with the finger out in the school uniform and the other side of the road into the city is bumper to bumper. Yep. And there's all these people sitting in their cars looking really unhappy in suits on their own driving in like ants in this massive gridlock of ant traffic going to be good slaves. And I mean, because every day I saw this, right, every day, Monday to Friday, and I would go, there's no way known I am ever going the same way as them. If I am ever going the same way as them, I know I'm going the wrong way, 100%. <laughs> and I've always kind of gone the opposite way to, to that. You know, it, it was only recently that I, I received an email from another pro surfer suggesting, one of my elders suggesting that perhaps I should go back to school and get an education 
And then I would have some numbers and credentials beside my name, and that would translate into me being able to make money and create great opportunity for myself. And it was a, it was a, you know, the thought came from the right place, mm. and the, you know, it was caring about me in that sense, I suppose. And I was like, I feel like my powers are fact that I'm not educated. Mm. That's that's I don't want to be educated. I don't want to be indoctrinated. I don't need to be told. Mm. And back to back to the coaching thing. Um, you know, I've spent a lot of time, I've turned down a lot of big opportunities that other people would have ordinarily jumped at. Yep. Call it the call it the blue ribbon liberal seat of, of manly yep. that Nick Griner offered me. You know, yeah, it's yours if you want it. Um, yeah. Call it, um, you know, head coach at the Surfing Australia High Performance Centre. Do you want the job? Not really. Um, you know, to general managers of surf brands. And do you, you know, want to be the general manager of Australasia for this surf brand? Not really. Mm. And I've turned out, you know, were you going dancing with the stars or celebrity chef, you know, celebrity chef or whatever? And I'm like, no. Nah. <laughs> um, so I've turned down way, way more stuff yeah. that I've said yes to to create my freedom and to maintain my ability to do and say what I want. Yeah. When I want to be me. And you get to this point in COVID history and you go, imagine if I wasn't able to be me. Mm. What if I had to have towed some kind of line or done something because of where I'd found myself and the circumstances of my employment or whatever where I had to do something completely against my will? Mate. You know? Radical, mate. Oh. So, you know, I yeah. feel like you, you – yeah, they all come with pros and cons, but at the same time you've got to – you got to be you. You got to be true to that, and it comes with the ups and the downs. I can't pay me credit card bill this month, but we'll make we'll find a way. Yeah, <laughs> one yeah. way or another. Necessity's I, the mother of. Oh, look. Hey, I've got to go. Yeah, I've got to go pick up the sun, mate. Oh no worries. Look, Bill, we appreciate you being you, mate. Never ever change because, <laughs> like, I mean, it, it's like you say, we're we're all on board. We love your words. We love your mind. We love your freedom, and we love what you bring to. And what you are bringing to this next generation of surfers, mate. And I, I wish you all the best. And congrats on becoming a granddad, but yeah, best thing ever, mate. I'll ha I'll have to when I've got time. I'll have to, I'll have to tell you the story of hugging the granddaughter when, when we get time. <gasps> no worries, BL. <laughs> but thanks again, mate. And uh, BL's blast off on now. Check it. And and our Kanduma event, we're returning to physical events mm -hmm. in the Maldives in April 2023, and we're upping it from 14 and under to 16 and under, so those kids who missed a couple of years of blast-offs are able to continue and do it again. Fantastic. So that's the big news for me, is going going back to the Maldives, going to Kanduma, doing 16 and unders, and uh, getting back on with physical events will be sick. Unreal, mate. Catch you soon. See ya. Conversations. Maybe that's what we're saying. Maybe that's what we're saying. Maybe that's what we're saying.